0: whoo Welcome back to a second chance. My name is Philip Jones. And today I have with me my brother, Mr. Wills Porter. What's going on, Mr. Porter? How are you doing?
1: Doing good, man. Doing good.
0: Glad to be back on with you. Awesome. 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 Uh, last week we had a we didn't have a show because of Mother's Day. So I hope everybody had a great Mother's Day with their families, with the moms, aunties, uh, grandmothers, great-grandmothers. Um so you know, y'all know me. I, I get straight to it. So You know, we hear from Mr. Porter and his story, his journey, his transplant journey. Uh, So, Mr. Porter, take it away.
1: Yeah, man. Again, super excited to be back on with you, uh, Phillip. My name is Will Porter, for those of you all who don't know me. I'm a 21-year liver transplant recipient. Uh, Doing very well. Um, Been very blessed with the second chance. uh, The whole whole title of the show, you know. Um, But really, kind of my my transplant journey started. um, I was born, everything was good. Nothing really were showing up as issues um and then kind of as as things developed and progressed um i'd get sick and i'd get over it but i would continuously get sick it wasn't it was very strange and so after a bunch of trips to the pediatrician ultimately it was determined that um i would be referred to children's health care of atlanta at uh phil i know you're out there in la so that's bit of a little bit of a difference um but anyway it was referred to choa and they ran tests all sorts of things and they really couldn't decide what was going on um and so they sent me to ohio to be evaluated and in ohio i was put on some medicine to see if uh some bile flow could be improved um unfortunately however by the time our family returned to atlanta from ohio nothing had really changed. Um, and so that it was at that point that I was placed on the liver transplant list. And this was all before uh, age three, so it was probably about a year and a half or so. I um, was placed on the list, and the waiting game kind of began. Um, one day we got a call that I had a the liver was ready for me. Um, so we drove. We lived in Athens now, and we're still, we still do. Um, so we made about an hour, 16-minute drive from Athens to Atlanta and pre-op went great, everything was going good, went in, and um, my body could not sustain the IVs, uh, the IV lines, and so I experienced a cardiac arrest, which at that point, the doctor said, we're not doing this we're calling it off, it's not working, and so the procedure was called off, and I was acting very uncharacteristic when they took me back to my room, wasn't acting the way I usually did. And so that prompted my parents to say, the thinking needs to be seen by neurology. And was evaluated by neurology, nothing really showed up. And then I had a seizure and that kind of uh, really showed that whatever had happened was substantial. And it was determined that ability to see, walk, talk, make, make facial expressions, everything that we take for granted every day. Uh, I know you do, Philip and I, as well, probably taking it for granted once or twice, um, was impactful. And so that was a lot of rehabilitation. That was before I even had my transplant. And so our family left the hospital, and after months and months of countless hours in rehab, I made a lot of improvements and ultimately worked myself back up uh, the list. I was still very sickly, so I didn't really fall that far. Um... And the night came June, December 31st, 1999, so uh, right before January 1st, 2000, the new year Y2K was a big thing, if any of y'all remember that. And so we got the phone call, the new liver was ready, which we were half surprised. It had been that fast of a turnaround, and half surprised that they were still moving forward with a procedure after what happened before. And so we got to the hospital, and the procedure was not scheduled till later that night into that next day so we had a good bit of time um so to kind of spend our time well we went to the new year celebration at the hospital where the slogan for that night was out the old put in with new," which is very fitting given that that next morning i woke up in a new millennium with a new liver and that's ultimately uh, what has gotten me here today
0: uh so l- let me ask you this question uh when you, when you got your original diagnosis of uh, liver failure, like exactly what went through your mind when you heard those words?
1: Well, for for folks who aren't aware, um, I was diagnosed at probably a year or so of age, so I was still I was very young. Um, I know it was probably pretty stressful on my parents, obviously, because here is a kid that was born that is totally normal and within the first year or so, what they think is going to be normal turns to be something very different. And so that was very challenging for them. And a lot of my story I've been told from them. And I remember a few kind of minor details of procedures and things that have happened before I was two, but really my working memory of my transplant didn't really come about until age probably five. And at that point I had a my parents kind of sat me down and talked me through what
0: had happened and I came to a pretty good understanding of it, which obviously has developed it. Yeah, no, I understand completely. I I know my parents uh, dealt with it pretty hard too. A a slightly, a little bit harder because they were divorced at the time. So, um, you know, uh, me being four years old having to deal with, you know, kidney failure was you know, definitely a hard situation for them not to deal with. So, but, you know, definitely, you know, we, the both of us, you know, best of parents that loves us. So, you know, we have able to make it through those situations, you know, even though they have to, they deal with it just like we do, uh, just in a different sense, you know, we deal with the physical and, you know, emotional side of it, but they deal with it 100% emotionally uh having to watch their kid you know go through this type of situation so uh, definitely hard for parents to deal with this as well parents spouses anybody that's kind of in a, a support system for a patient like us um what because I, I know that you went to uh certain camps and things like mm-hmm. that transplant patients how you uh, yeah. Got introduced to uh, to Edward, and so exactly how did you get into those into those camps? Did somebody uh, tell you about them? Did you look them up yourself? Like, how did those uh, come into your uh, into the grasp of your hands to be able to go to these things?
1: Yeah, so I was transplanted at age three and a half, before in February, and so the age cut cutoff the age start at that point was about six or seven and it's pretty much stayed the same. And it was something that Shoah and my doctors had mentioned as I became older and that time kind of came closer. And my parents part, probably ended up being a thing where they were just like, you know what, you need to tell me we can send our kid off to camp for a week and have a break. Sure. We'll send them off. Um, but in all seriousness, it, it was a really great opportunity because it was something that I was pretty much the only one in my school, to my knowledge, that had anything remotely close to organ failure or a transplant. And I'm sure you, you might be able to share it that as well growing up. Um, and so they decided to send me to camp and I just went and loved it. And it was kind of surprising because my parents weren't really sure how I'd respond. And I got back, and they said, "How was it?" I was like, "I loved it. It was great. I'm going back next year." And they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, how about that?" And so I've been going for the past, gosh, 17 years. I know I missed one year because I came down with a sinus infection that was mm-hmm. not Um, But other than that, I've been going to camp for 17 years, minus a uh, minus a little thing called COVID last year. And that sinus infection, I've been going strong. And it's really cool because as a camper growing up, I mean, to be around these kids that have similar diagnoses as you do and then have pretty similar life experiences minus the organ and maybe some other minor details. But as you grow older, you kind of phase from being camper to kind of being a mental. And so that's been really cool to see kind of that how that started and how that has developed through the counselor and training program and ultimately through um, having Edward as my, as my counselor. It was my last year that I chose as a camper. I technically could have gone till 18, but I wanted to go ahead and enter the pre-counselor phase. This was before children's healthcare amended and changed their qualifications for counselors. So in my head, I'd be like, hey, I can be a counselor by age twenty. Sure, let's do it. It changed. But my last year as a camper, I had Edward as counselor and um, it was actually the year or so before, it was the next last year actually. Um, is the between my sophomore and junior year of high school. And at that time I thought I wanted to go to the military and that felt good. so I was pretty angry. Um, as anyone would be if they put all their eggs in one basket and expected their life to turn out one way and it went together. And so Edward was my counselor. And from the second I just laid eyes on him, I could tell something was different about him. Something, the way he carried himself, the way that he interacted with us, it was just, it was different than you see a lot of counselors in a very good way. And so he kind of told his story throughout the week of his experience with organ failure, how he kind of had his own plans and they went astray because of his organ failure and ultimately what led him to say, you know, why not me? And something about that really resonated with me and kind of lit a, lit a spark in my mind. Like, wait a second. Yeah. Why don't I just use my story to impact others? It sounded so simple, but sometimes it takes those people to say those things for you to kind of connect pieces and so it's been a really great opportunity to be involved with why not and uh, to really see the see the friendship really grow um it's definitely something i'm thankful for and you know your friendship phil and everybody it's just it's awesome i know we just did our patient support symposium which was a whole lot of work um but it's been really good, and I'm very blessed to have been involved with Camp Independence through Children's Health Care of Atlanta. So if any of y'all are out there watching know somebody who could benefit from this camp, I'm pretty sure the registration is closed for this year. We have some kind of amended numbers because of COVID. But hopefully next year we'll be back in full force and would love to have anybody out there, volunteer, camper, whoever it might be. But it's a really special camp, y'all. It's a lot of really cool things going on, and just very blessed to be a part of
0: awesome awesome yeah i wish uh you know we have had this conversation plenty of times on calls but uh you know because like i said I, I didn't have people come to me to tell me about camps as well i saw one kidney camp uh flyer and that was just about it and i hadn't seen or heard anything else about um any types of camps for any transplant patients period uh when i have my uh transplant at UCLA, so I'm sure by now a lot of things have changed, and there's probably a lot more of them, uh, and communication is probably different uh, at this point, so, but um, we're going to get to to why not in a second. Um, When, what was it exact outside of the why not me, what part of that that speech that that you heard from Edward that kind of made you just say, "Yeah, let's let's do this, let's make a change," you know, let me start telling my story. Because for me, it was I I, I didn't really have. Oh, actually, I did take that back. Uh, Transplant Games in 2008, which was my first one, and um, when I got there, and I was like, one of the first things people ask you. You know, what kind of transplant did you have? How old were you? You know, all those things. And so like that's all like, all the conversation you really have at the games. is like, you know, what you've been through, you know, uh, what caused it, you know, how are you doing now and things like that. And so um, I remember talking to quite a few people that, that week and I had so many people come back to me that, you know, told me how much, you know, uh, the story kind of impacted them in in ways of, you know, them thinking and stuff like that, going about their life. And even at that time, I didn't understand 100% exactly how much my story could impact somebody. Um, It actually took, well, Well, I I halfway did. I did and I didn't. I tried to get in touch with some other foundations and uh those you know, didn't go through and so uh when I when I met Edward as well it was in two uh, twenty eighteen at the Transplant Games in Utah, um, you know, we had a we had a, a a cool conversation and he told me what he was doing with his foundation, stuff like that and I was like immediately I was like, That's what I need. Yeah, you know, I need to be uh, attached to this in this some kind of way um, because my whole thing has been about you know pediatric patients and stuff like that uh, that deal with uh, transplant issues uh, because I think they need the most help. Are all of us? I mean, we all need help in some kind of way, but uh, pediatric patients need that extra help, love, support. You know, because they're kids. You know, I mean when you're an adult, you think a little bit more differently than when you're, you know, a pediatric patient where when you're a young adult. So um I've always wanted to make that uh connection. So when when, you know when I talked to Eric, he was like, you know, give me a call. I called him, we talked and then from there, you know, uh we've just been making things happen. Like you said, we just did the the pediatric uh symposium, which was you know, great, um, have big numbers uh, viewing-wise for that, so, um but I guess I can't go into, into why not, so what, um how did that conversation go between you and Edward, where you decided, like, hey, I want to be, you know, part of why not, I want you to be my mentor, you know, uh, how, how did that, how did that go, how did that relationship form outside of, Uh, the camp
1: yeah so what uh, I can answer the first question uh, expand on that a little bit first and really what stuck out to me about his story and ultimately what he challenged me to do was that he was someone who he was a picture of someone who is successful who despite the circumstances he has experienced in his life is able to turn his experiences around for good, and it's not a he doesn't he didn't have a victim mentality about what he had experienced. Rather, it was quite the opposite. It was a victor mentality that he had been victorious over all of these circumstances, and in light of all of that, had been able to turn around and use his story to impact others and really benefit others. And that's something that really resonated with me was not only yes i had had my experiences but what that means moving forward and the story that is given me and that is ultimately what led me to reach out to him i went back after I, I, i was a camper and um i was just i was researching the foundation constantly probably for the first week after i got back i was looking at why not foundation edward drake read his stories on all sorts of different platforms and ultimately came to the conclusion that this is somebody that I wanted to be involved with even if it was just a, a mentor basis and I called him up and I said hey man so camp was awesome and I'm reading over your info I cannot believe your organization is doing this much awesome work I'd love to be a part however it looks um, you know just be honored to, to work with why not love the work that you are doing and that kind of sparked our friendship that turned into a mentorship that now looking back, gosh, that was two thousand, those twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen, and we're here in twenty twenty one now, so it's been a while, and it's been really cool to be in, involved with an organization that um, it's not an organization that is you know look at me, look at me, look at what we do. It's about who's the biggest, biggest and baddest and best of what they do. That's not what we we're about. That's never what we do. It's about finding individuals who have a story and empowering them to use their story coupled with Why Not to impact lives and ultimately what we are about. And that is what has kept me being involved with Why Not for as long as I've been involved and I'm excited to see kind of where we go next the, the Why Not Symposium was awesome. It was a lot of work but it was awesome and it's been really great to see how I, I vividly remember I think I had his, he had just given his business card. It, it didn't have, it didn't have his phone number. It didn't have his contact info, none of that. It just said, why not foundation? They had their website. he was like, you know, you're interested. Just take a look. I'm like, hmm, okay, this is pretty cool. And I remember looking at it and thinking to myself, I wonder how this is going to develop within the next five years. And looking back now and seeing how much that is, that, that changed very quickly in a very good way. Um, I'm very blessed to have him in my life. And he actually went to, my undergrad graduation in 2019 and unfortunately because of covid could not be here for my grad uh for my graduate school um but he was there in spirit and i know that y'all are watching on your live stream so it's been really cool it's been a great uh it's been a great journey i'm looking forward to seeing how it develops over time
0: awesome well we're gonna take a break right here when we come back we'll get definitely get into uh the graduation questions and things of that nature so we'll be right back To a second, I have Mr. Willis Porter here. Uh, so to get back into something that you just uh, brought up, your graduation man, congratulations! Uh, Mr. Porter just graduated from UGA uh, with a master's in social work on this past Friday. Um, tell the people a little bit how you uh decided to go you know, you want to go into social work like what uh, what transpired to get you on that path and and for you to keep fighting and pushing to get to, to your goal of last Friday?
1: Yeah, so what really started it off for me was that I, I knew that I wanted to do something in a hospital setting. Growing up, I'd always been in hospitals and all of my stuff with a transplant, and I knew I wanted to use my experiences and somehow impact others as a professional uh, in my career. And I originally thought that this would be through private practice counseling but I just I felt like there was more to it that I could do and kind of challenge myself to think bigger picture and that ultimately led me to almost go through and, and get my degree for um, child life for child life specialist work and that's something that Austin within you go follow the second chance uh, is that he wants to do as well and so I originally wanted to do that but By my junior year, I believe, of undergrad, um, I was really starting to question a lot of what I could actually do in the hospital setting. Unfortunately, I had some pretty bad experiences um, with with some folks in my cohort in undergrad that really, who also wanted to do child life. And so it really made me question whether or not that is a group of people that I wanted to be around. And I didn't want to do it. They were caught up in the who's who and everything that you know is what it is. And I decided that I would kind of distance myself from that. And so that led me to start exploring what else I could do as a transplant recipient in a medical setting. And I knew I didn't want to go to medical school. And so the next best thing, looking at jobs and not wanting to kind of. Pigeonhole myself or make it where it'd be harder to find jobs after I graduated was to go into social work uh, I have a lot of really awesome social workers that I've been very blessed to know over the years through through camp independence and through Me being seen at children's health care that I have a lot of great respect for and they really helped inform me say In, in saying you know, hey, if this is what you want to do This is how you want to you know, use your life experiences to impact others Everything you're saying you want to do is exactly what you do in social. Just go get your degree in social work and you can figure it out later. Like, oh, I like that idea. Okay. So I applied to the University of Georgia. Um, uh, It was my senior year I did apply. So I applied to UGA and was accepted. And so I started right after I graduated. took the summer off in 2019 and they hit the ground running. And that was a really interesting experience the first year because a lot of what I've learned in undergrad was actually repeated in my first couple of years of my social work program, specifically my first couple of classes. And so that was a very interesting experience to see kind of how, how well I'd been set up for success. It speaks a lot to the program I was in in undergrad. But kind of some of the challenges to kind of get to some of the things that you mentioned, Philip, um, Someone who had had a transplant, just as is the case a lot of times, I'm kind of usually the only one. And so when someone asks you and you go around the room and they say, well, why are you in social?" short? And someone says, you know, oh, well, I'm in it for such and such. Like, okay, all oh, right, yeah, that's cool. Wills, why are you in it? Oh, well, you know, I want to work at organ transplant and donation. And then to come to find out, half the people in the room don't even know what an organ transplant is. So that's a little challenging and it unfortunately was you know some people chose to not just kind of not understand it and just leave it at that and so that was definitely a challenge just because they were just short with me and there were some issues but again that's regardless of where you go it's going to happen so it is what it is and so i really persevered through that and graduated on friday with my master's in social work and i'm super excited to see where it leads me. I'm looking at a couple opportunities right now, specifically in Florida um, that I'm I'm applying for. I'm finishing the application on one of them this week. And then I'm hoping if nothing else happens to apply somewhere else to uh, pursue my PhD that I I would get. But again, all of that will develop as it develops. And it's been really cool to kind of see how What started as just a passion for wanting to use my story to impact others has kind of been directed to social work and a way that, you know, there's been some challenges, there's been some rough times, but there's also been a lot of great joys. And one of them has been, uh, my work with Columbia residential, which is a low and mid income housing development organization that has a property here in Athens. They also have properties in Atlanta, in Florida, Louisiana and Texas. And so as an intern, I got to design and implement a multi-state kidney health and organ donation awareness program called Operation Impact. That, or, that uh, project, if you will, received support from LifeLink of Georgia, which is my local organ recovery agency up here near in Athens and in the whole state of Georgia, actually. Our legacy, Florida, uh, Louisiana organ procurement agency, LOPA. Um, as well as Lifeline of Ohio and a couple other really awesome partners. And so that's been really neat to know that I've graduated and that I've been able to use my experiences in a very interesting time with COVID where a lot of us are remote. It actually went very well for me because that meant I could actually implement my program over a virtual platform. And so it's exciting. It's really cool to see where it started, where it has ended up, in
0: the culmination of getting my master's and i'm excited to see kind of where it leads me in the future awesome awesome Let, let's take a, a, a step back um some years actually okay um and, and this question is more or less for uh the kids who are you know in high school and things like that um my first question is was UGA your first choice? And my second question is, did you face any obstacles of having to put these, you know, applications, if you did apply to uh, other schools outside of UGA, trying to find out if they had, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, services for, you know, uh, disabled, you know, because, term-wise, that's, that's what we fall under. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, transplant patients, things like that. Do they take the precautions uh, necessary and, and things like that? Like, exactly what was your uh, your course of figuring out school when you were in that in that age of 17, 18, uh, figuring out, you know, where you want to go to undergrad and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, so it's actually a very interesting story. I... Actually, was told by my, my parents kept saying you know, oh you know you should apply to UGA, you should go to Georgia. And this was in high school, and I literally just yelled at them. I said, don't ever tell me to apply to UGA University of Georgia again. I don't want to go. I will never go there. again. I'm sitting here now with now a couple degrees from there, so let's take that in consideration. Um, but I originally did not want to go to UGA. I did not want to go to any big school. I was looking at some smaller schools specifically the university of north georgia out here uh in dahlonega georgia which is up north if you're not familiar with the state or it uh the county campus which is closer to where and so i really just applied to the university of north georgia to start out because i knew i didn't really know i knew at the time that i did not know where i was going to and so i felt that the safest and smartest move would be to go ahead and knock out and complete those original, those kind of foundational courses, those classes that everybody has to have regardless, no matter what, of what you end up picking for a major. And so I went to the University of North Georgia, and to their credit. um, They did a really great job. Professors were great. The, The DRC, which is what we refer to as the Disability Resource Center, was exceptional, top notch quality, and were really great in helping me kind of get the services I needed. Again, because I'm 27 years post, I couldn't really need a whole lot. Um, but whenever there were some things that arose, they were very helpful. And the person that actually, if I have this correctly, used to be at UNG actually moved over to the University of Georgia. I would like to think it was because she knew I'd be there and she wanted to be there because I was there, but I. I doubt that's actually why it is. Um it's probably because she was really good and UGA said we need you. And so I transferred to UGA kind of as a challenge slash joke. Honestly, I did not think that I had the ability to get in. And I got the email to say congratulations, you're accepted. I was like, Well, I guess I'm going to UGA because I didn't apply anywhere else. Um and so I went to UTA. I had an incredible advisor. Uh, Ahmad was exceptional as well in helping me really find my passion in undergrad. And so for, for those of y'all out there who are in high school or who are looking at colleges, let's say you're in California, let's say you're in Georgia, Texas, wherever you are, you're, during that time, you're going to find that a lot of people will say they know what they're going to do. 90% of the time, they have no freaking clue. Like, they think they know. They, they know what they would like to do, but what they would like to do and what ends up happening might be two very different things. And there is no problem in going to a two-year school to transition to a four-year school. Or maybe you're like, you know what? This college thing, it's not for me, man. I want to go do whatever. OK, go do it. You know, nobody's standing here saying, you have to do this. The reason why that I chose UNZ is because I felt like it was best for me. Likewise, to anyone who's looking to go to college, continuing education, etc., do what is best for you. If it's a four-year school, it's a four-year school. If it's a Two-year school, it's a two-year school. If it's neither, that's okay. And for those of us who've had transplants as well, Philip, I know you could probably speak to this as well, is that there's so many other challenges that come along with being a student. It's not just the academic; it's the Health. It's the going to um, going to clinic, making sure you're updated on all your lab work, et cetera, and really kind of owning your experience and being um, being prepared for that transition. And so, yeah, I, I did not want to go to UGA, but again, I ended up there. Um, in a in the, in the world where I would determine everything, that would not be how it would turn out, but I would have it any other way. You know, I've had some great relationships with professors and with some folks that have helped me get to where I am. Graduate school, I had some exceptional faculty and and professors help me out as well. Um, And as far as the disability services is concerned, you'll probably find this across a lot of university systems, university system and technical college system of Georgia is very good in their disability services. Um, also, veteran services. University of North Georgia is actually a military institution. Um, they have an a, an ROTC a JROTC program um, for folks that you know, the JROTC and ROTC in college, um, and they're actually a service academy. So, you know, they're at least in Georgia, it's very it's very good. And these days, just with how far we've come as a country with, you know, our understanding of disability, whatever that might look like, chances are wherever you end up, if if it's a good school, they're going to help you out. They, they want to see the system. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy looking back now that I now have two degrees from a university that I swore to my parents I would never attend. Um, the, the lesson in that is honestly the, the bigotry of low expectations concept um i don't know who all is watching this or who all will get their hands on it but if any of y'all out there are hearing from people such as i don't know an academic advisor uh a high school academic advisor a college academic advisor parents siblings whoever that tells you oh well because you scored such and such on a test i don't know a pre-ACT a pre-sAT and that must mean that you're not prepared to score that must mean that you need to um, consider an, an alternative to college. I was told that because my grades were on the, on the test. Keep in mind, junior year, we're not even senior year yet, the high school weren't great. And it was, you know, the world's, are, you know, these grades are okay, but eh, it's a little worrisome. Um, don't listen to me. I bought into the bigotry of low expectations, and that is kind of what wanted kept me in that mind frame of, you know, I'm not going to go to big school because I'm not ready and I can't. But, you know, talking with Edward and finding people who spoke life into me, I found out that was a lot that I could. The question was, how badly did I want it and how much was I worth for And if I wanted it badly enough and I worked hard enough for it and I found the people to help me along the way, I could get to where I'm
0: Wow. Um, To touch on a few things, um, for anybody that's in uh, high school that's trying to figure out, uh, you know, what college you want to go to or anything like that, I would say if you can if you're in 19th grade start doing their research now uh figure out what the requirements are stay on top of those requirements you know because sometimes they change sometimes you look up and you know you get to senior here you're like oh okay cool i got all. you know in your mind you have all your classes done you know gpa is great and everything like that and then you look up and they're like well you don't have xyz class And you're like, well, when did they add this? You know, you have to stay on, be proactive, uh, just like you're proactive with your health if you're a transplant patient or, you know, if you deal with any other uh, life threatening sicknesses, you know, stay proactive in your schooling uh, as well. Um, To touch on the two year, four year thing, like you say, going through a two year is not a bad thing. Especially if you find yourself or your family uh, financially challenged uh, to be able to, you know, pay those four years. If you're not able to get a scholarship or something like that, you know, go to, to a two year, you know, uh, get that degree, tra- you know, transfer degree. I'm not just gonna say a degree. Uh, make sure you get a transfer degree and then make that jump to, you know, a four year and go from there it's a lot less money that you have to spend um especially if you mess around and get some scholarships even pay off the two-year stuff um you know definitely i would suggest taking um taking that way if if possible um you know so that way you're not your parents aren't you know stressing over payments and you know things like that so uh, definitely look into your your uh, close two-year schools. If you don't have one next to you, you know, in your area, because I know some states don't have two-year uh, colleges, um, you know, some areas, you know, try to see if you can find one that's close to family, you know, that wouldn't mind you moving in, you know, for some time to take these classes and, you know, move on from there. Uh, you know, that's nowhere near a bad situation. A lot of people play down two-year schools because it's not a four-year degree or anything like that when they don't understand that. Sometimes people just aren't able to put that uh, that money to those, you know, to four years, especially if it's certain ones that they're looking at going to, you know. Um, so that, that's...
1: Something else, something else as well that's a big issue that we're finding in our economy now is that there are a lot of people with four-year degrees, but there are also a lot of jobs that you know people with four-year degrees can't do they don't know how to do it builders um plumbers electricians all these things that people with four-year degrees and a bachelor's and whatever they probably they could do it but they aren't skilled so my advice honestly the best advice i could probably give is um think Think long-term. Think, okay, what is going to set me up for success? What is the need for a specific field? You can look it up. There are a lot of different websites that you can find. You look up, you know, what is the projected need for welders within the next five years? What's the projected need for um, just come up with something within the next couple of years and figure that out? Um, technical colleges, we have Athens Tech out here that has a ton of programs. Um, And I'm sure that's the case with other colleges and universities around the country. But, yeah, I'd say you don't have to have a five-year plan. Just have a plan for next week. You know, just have a plan to get you to that next step. And as long as you take that in bite-sized increments and you have a goal, you're good. You don't need to go to a four-year school straight up. First of all, and I know I might get some hate for this, um, I think going to a four-year school such as the University of Georgia for seniors is, um, I think it's kind of a joke, honestly. <laughs> like you mean to, you know, like you mean to tell me that I can not have to graduate with a 4.0 GPA and be at the top of my class and have a ridiculous amount of requirements? You know, I don't have to worry about that. I can just go to a two-year school, save some money, and transfer in if I want and have a you know, not have a 4.0 GPA, yeah, I'm okay with that. Like, I don't, I, I, I guess it's just this, you know, embedded idea that, you know, you have to be the best, that, you know, oh, I have to get in. No, you don't. The only, the only person that's telling you that is the person next to you who, that's where they're going. They don't determine what you're going to do. They don't know your life. They don't know your life circumstances. They don't know your medical situation. You know, if you're a transplant patient or you have some other medical situation, they don't know it. You do. It's so at the end of the day, you do what's best for you. And if you get paid for it, that's not on you. That's on them.
0: Definitely, definitely. Uh, definitely wanted to touch on the, uh, you know, you're saying that you don't necessarily have to get a four year degree for certain jobs. You don't. Um, there are certain uh, programs, and like you were saying, trade and technical schools, where, you know, once you complete those courses, you're certified to do whatever job that that certificate can get you into. Um, you know, we have a number, most of the, the California uh, junior colleges, um, at least in in our district, I know for sure, have uh, some kind of trade technical program uh, for you to do a number of things once you finish. Uh, our school just added uh, basically, I don't know the exact, word that they use for the course but it's basically a construction and you take a you know certain amount it's like a certain amount of weeks that they take and then like you basically you know get placed somewhere or whatever like that you know with the job and stuff like that so um you know we have a school that's the school is called los angeles trade tech is intentionally made for trades and technical that's what his specialty is. Um, you know, so definitely you know, if you feel, you know, and, and those those, places, you know, you always want to shoot for the stars. You want to go, you know, uh, shoot for the sky. But, you know, say, for instance, if, like you're saying, you might not be able to pay for a four-year at the moment. But you can go to a two-year, get a certificate, get a job, and be able to make the money to save for school. You know, there's there's a number of ways for you to go um, to get to where you're trying to go. You know, you don't, you know, all just just ha- immediately have to go. I'm graduating, like said, so with 4.0 to go XYZ University and things like this. There's, there's a number of ways that you can go, you know, if you want to take a year or two off. I, I've known, I know a number of people that uh, went to my school that I'm, I'm graduating from next month that you know in their 30s you know in their 40s and they were just like Man, i just want to go back to school you know and they were like you know i finally have the money to to pay for it you know i've been you know working for the past 10 15 years you know and always do i want to go back to school and so i'm finally in a position to do that i'm not saying that you have to wait 10 15 years to do it but you know being able to to take that time off like I say, you know, maybe a year or two or whatever, save the money and then go to a two year or even if you had the grades and just want to go, you know, try to apply to, uh, you know, university or whatever. But, um, you know, definitely, like I said to the kids, I would say, do your do your due diligence now. If you're in 19th grade, you know, look up, you know, whatever universities you want to go to apply to as many as financially, as you can. And I know applications cost money and stuff like that as well. Um, so, if you can apply to 10, apply to 10. If you can apply to 2, apply to 2. But apply to, I would say, definitely apply to more than one. Um, you know, because you never know um, what schools are just saying, okay, and give you that shot. You know, I've talked to a number of people before where they're like, yeah, you know, didn't get into you know this university but i got into to ucla and like i didn't even want to go to ucla but <laughs> i got the acceptance so that's why i went you know and i'm like that's you know it's weird to me that all colleges have the i mean of course it's they're supposed to have their own recommendations and and uh requirements and things like that but you know when you try to uh when you put this school next to this school and if it's even it should pretty much be the same way know for you to be able to get into to either one so um
1: recommendations are also important as well you know for for those of y'all out there who are looking to do that you know you're in high school You build those relationships with your teachers with your coaches with whoever it is that you're connected with maybe it's your high school academic advisor whoever it might be because you're going to need those. they're going to ask for recommendations even if it's just you know from the call up your coach and say, hey, you know, he applied, is he good, tell me about it. You know, you want to have those good relationships. You want to be the one that sticks out in a very good way. And so make sure that you are developing those relationships early and that, you know, even after you graduate, you maintain those and you continue those. Those are going to be very important to have and you're going to need those regardless, probably, of where you apply. Everybody everybody requires them. they are required for um, scholarships, they're required for jobs, um, they're required for academics. So, regardless of which one of those three, you're gonna. Need it. So, build those relationships and find those people that you can have speak high things of you and that can turn around and help you out when the time comes.
0: Definitely uh, build relationships, uh, like you said, you know, teachers, you know, uh, anybody may, if you have a. Um, College Career Center, whoever the advisor is uh, there. Um, my main thing uh, attached to that would just be be the best person that you can be in school, um, especially attitude wise. Don't know these people because you get in trouble all the time, know them because they just intentionally want to talk to you and hold a conversation. When I went to school, I knew literally everybody on campus when it came to faculty. You know, whether it was the janitors, whether it was security, you know, administration, you know, uh, any anybody under those, uh, you know, uh, I can, so uh, it helps because it's easy for them to write that recommendation when they consistently talking, you know, or talking to you about, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, what you're doing, you know, grade wise or look, for school, or just to have some, you know, hey, how was your weekend? You know, anything like that, as opposed to you getting summons to, you know, because you got into a fight, or you cussed out a teacher, or something like that. Trust me, I've seen, I've seen some weird stuff in my school. So when I was in high school, so you know, it was, it made it easier for me to get those recommendations because, you know, like I said, I, I ended up TNA for our assistant principal my senior year you know, not that many people, you know, could do that. Most assistant principals and principals only take TAs, you know, but because, you know, I conducted myself as a good person, you know, my grades were cool, you know, I was, you know, never in trouble, never been suspended from school when I was in high school or anything like that. So, you know, they always saw, you know, saw me, to me, I was always respectful uh, to, you know, security and, and authority and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I know a lot of kids think because their parents are telling them certain things, they're like, "Man, I don't feel like listening to you." Could you, you know, go and go, go do something, right? Uh, I was the same way. Am I even gonna lie to you? You know, but then um, when I started doing these things, I started noticing that what they were telling me was, you know, was actually correct. You know, you want to be that person that everybody knows, but not because you're always in trouble, you're always fighting you know, things like that is because of who you are as a person, uh, that you you know, that you know all these people. So um so uh let's get to uh the Why Now Foundation. Um what things have you done? I mean I know you've done the uh the school uh school supply drive and the toy drive, but outside of that when it comes to uh communication and, and things like that other um, uh, um, what I'm looking for events um, outside of those things what have what have you done with Edward and the why not foundation
1: uh so a lot of what I've done is in the Christmas drives that we'll do the uh, uh, holiday toy drives that we've done I've done a bunch of those um, we really do those main major main events again just because I'm I'll i am i will My whole hospital is Children's Health Care in Atlanta and Eggleston, and I'm about an hour and a half outside of that. So whenever they do something at TROA, we try to really be purposeful in coordinating it because it is an hour or so drive. And if anybody has driven through Atlanta, I'm sorry in advance. It's it's horrible sometimes. And so you have to be really smart in how you plan things out, but I've done a lot with them on that. Um, and just being involved as i can as i can help you know you know playing the symposium like we did or you know when, when we were kind of you know trying to figure out some things to to do to lead up to it that, it that you know we're building on that we had announced you know working on a lot of those things and sometimes it you know being involved is just being a voice of, of um i don't, I don't want to say reason because that makes it sound like a is unreasonable that's not the right word um, but the kind of a a second opinion, if you will, you know, there, a, there are a lot of programs and a lot of things that we do is why not, but as many as we do, there are probably a dozen others that we're not doing because we've had to decide, you know, well, this is more important, you know, our program one is more important than program two, so we're going to go with program one. You know, ha- you know having those conversations when there's, you know, when there are times that become difficult you know, being able to kind of speak into those situations and kind of provide my insight. And, you know, that, that's what I think is so great about the y not Foundation is that, you know, I'm here in Georgia, Philip, you're out there in California, we have Austin in the DMV area. We're all over the place. And so we all bring our different perspectives on life and our understanding of how to do things. And so when we all come together, all of that kind of combines. And we're able to really help make the organization something that is special, where it's not just the Edward, the Edward Show, which I'm sure would be great, but it's you know it's the Edwards Show and everyone else involved. You know, it's it's the Why Not Foundation. The, the Why Not Foundation is not about one person; it's about us collectively. And so that is what I really enjoy, you know, with these events, is that I, you know, that is on full this. It's, you know, it's kind of hard, especially with SHOA, for whatever reason, to actually go into the transplant floor. And don't ask me, because I don't know why, but it is what it is. Um, So, you know, whereas you would, you know, you might be able to do that. Some hospitals, you can't do that in Atlanta. So you have to be very purposeful and kind of innovative in how we do things outside of our donation drives, et cetera. And so I'm hoping really with the launching of the patient support site, that that is something that, you know, CHOA will be able to jump on board with. I hope they do um, because I know a lot of people who could benefit from this. And I'm sure, you know, people out there near Cedar Sinai and Cedar Sinai Medical System and everybody, um, they could benefit from it as well. But that's kind of what I've been involved with and I'm excited to see what we have coming out the gates in the next couple months. Um and I'm looking at kind of doing some of my own things, but that will uh that will develop and will be announced when it is developed developing announced. I'm gonna keep all my cards in my pocket right now. Um and it's just it's exciting to see kind of where we're going because we're all doing a lot of awesome things and it's all you know it's all for the patients and it's all for the kids and you know to, to use our stories and impact others. That's what it's all about.
0: So uh, real quick, if if you're talking to uh, let's say you're making phone calls to, you know, try to get, you know, why not connected to, uh, you know, XYZ hospital medical facilities with a peer transplant. Um, and they ask you, uh, well, why do you think that why not fits uh, our pediatric program? And why do you think that we should, you know, bring you in like what, what do you tell somebody that that asks you that question uh and I'll get to my next one after that
1: I think the I, I think the pitch is really simple as if you need to pitch it at all um what I basically would say is that you know y'all are dedicated to the well-being of your patients regardless of who walks through that door if they need a transplant they're going to help them get. It. But as, you know, as great as the services that y'all provide are in the hospital, there's so much of the transplant experience, challenges and good, that happens outside of the hospital. You know, we can, as practitioners and as doctors and nurses, want the best for our patients. But if our patients and your patients are not being plugged into the resources outside of the hospital to be successful, they will not be successful as we want to see them be. That is where we come. We have lived this. I have lived this. I've been there. I've seen it. And I can speak to situations that as well-intentioned as someone might be, sometimes the people who've experienced it are the ones that can speak to people in a way that no one else can speak to. That's what is so special about why not, is that we are able to do that. We are able to plug you in with people who've lived it, seen it and been through the good, bad, and ugly. And, you know, a lot of what we do is around, you know, wellness education, around education about, you know, what does it mean to follow what your doctors are saying? What does it even mean what your doctors are saying? You know, if your doctors are saying, hey, you need to follow your potassium, what if you don't know what a a potassium level is? You know, who's going to tell you? Sometimes your social worker might, sometimes they might not. And so it, it really comes down to providing them and plugging them with the resource to help them be successful outside of the hospital. So that way, when they go in the hospital for treatment, then they the, the doctors are seeing somebody who is doing well, as best as they can be doing, and is remaining compliant, because you know, compliance is a big deal, um, and who overall is you know, enjoying their second chance of life, because that's ultimately what it's about. And you know that's why we exist—is to help people enjoy their second chance of life, or if they haven't gotten that second chance yet, to help them along that
0: journey. Could have said better myself, actually. Um, So let me get into this. A couple questions. I this one and one more, but okay. um, Why don't you? get into where operation impact came from um you know how how it started where is that now you know that transition your thought process you know how you came about it uh things like that you know talk to the people
1: yeah so shameless plug uh there's actually going to be a podcast episode uh from the Louisiana Oregon procurement agencies um different Life podcast coming out, I believe, either later this month or next month that talks all about this, that I was actually interviewed on. So for what I cannot get to, I highly recommend you all listen to it. Again, shameless plug. Um, but the way that the project really came about was I originally had an internship placement in a hospital, and leading up to when my – this last semester started for school, there was this little thing that called COVID-19 that had just started out there. And it had kind of become an issue in the States, but it had really impacted the Athens community a whole lot. So there were a lot of question marks around what exactly was to be expected. And when that started, I originally thought, I need a backup plan. I need to make sure that I have paperwork ready to go if I need to change a placement, because I am immune suppressed, and the last thing I want to really do is be exposing myself further to COVID-19. This was early on, we didn't have a vaccine for it, we didn't know a lot about it. So fast forward a couple weeks before this semester even started, and our numbers in Athens were through the roof. We had a lot of challenges going on, and so I made the executive decision, if you will, within my own head to say you know what i'm i'm not doing this i'm going to apply for a placement site change and so i applied for a change uga to the credit helped me in that and they placed me at columbia residential which a little bit backstory there i had completed two other internship placements the year before one of them because i was actually moved because it didn't turn out that great the second one was at Athens Housing Authority, and that was only for a few months before we all went remote for COVID. I was like, well, gosh, I'm back at a housing development. How is this going to work? Like, I want to do transplant, but how? So I had all these questions. All those questions were then answered by my uh, my supervisor in Atlanta, Miss Jennifer Owens, who is incredible, uh, sat me down and said, hey, what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? And I told her a little bit about my story. And a little bit about why I decided to socially social work. And so she said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to design a multi-state kidney health and organization awareness program. We want you to design this completely. We're looking to you as kind of the, the expert, if you will, to find the other experts to make this project something that's very really special. And I originally decided to call it Operation Impact. Because when I was thinking of, you know, what do I want people to remember? I need a a, a one-liner that is easy for people to remember, that embodies what we're about. And thinking about my podcast that I do, I say, you know, go out and make an impact in your family, world, and community. So for me, it was very easy. We'll just call it Operation Impact. That's what we'll call it. And so I designed the logo myself and everything watch the facebook page watch the instagram account and it just kind of took off from there i called lifelink in georgia and they were immediately on board well first i called edward and why not and of course Edward was like yeah man whatever you need you got from us we're good why not is actually the headline sponsor of the program and then i called lifelink our legacy florida um steve belcher and the Urban kidney alliance all these people and i was able to pull them all together and where we're at now with the program is that the program is now officially completed having graduated is now done however that said you can still access all the information so uh, there's a youtube channel for it called operation impact the logo i believe is uh uh, is the operation impact logo so it's like a a neon green eye um with a blue circle in a gray background, I'm pretty sure is what the logo is, so that's what the YouTube channel is. All four of our webinar sections are recorded and available for viewing. You can also access more information about the program uh, at my website, uh, www.impactamericanmedia.com. Impact America Media does not have any spaces. It's all spelled out. Um, and on that you can go to the operation impact tab and you can find out more about our community partners about our goals of the program which are to inform inspire and empower in short inform we've decided you know we want to inform communities and individuals about kidney health and program transplant by sharing the facts and in the process dispelling myths inspire inspiring individuals to not only make positive kidney health decisions but also to register as donors and finally empower so empowering communities and individuals to be the change in in, you know, in their own neighborhoods. When you look at the need for organ donation in the United States, and kidney failure, unfortunately, it, it starts at home. You know, type two diabetes and hypertension and high blood pressure are, I believe, the top couple causes of kidney failure in the United States, if I remember correctly. And that ultimately could lead to organ transplant. And so, empowering these communities to be the be the change and to have the facts. And to know what all this is can really set them up for success and where they have more holistic communities. So that's kind of the project. And the way that I ultimately implemented it was over um, YouTube. Surprise, surprise, because of COVID. But it's been really great because it's been able to be viewed for everyone can view it, not just Columbia residential residents. And the way that I designed it really was that I had to kind of un- I purposefully unlearned what I already knew. And what I mean by that is that, you know, there might be something that you might have experienced in your life and like, well, you know a whole lot about it. Well, imagine you're trying to teach that or tell that to somebody and they don't know a thing about it. You have to approach it from their level of understanding. For, for no fault of their own. There's a lot of people that don't know about it. That's okay. But it takes the people who've experienced it to kind of unlearn it so that way they didn't know how to present it. So I, I did that, and I also kind of role-played in my head how I wanted to phrase it, and so I would come up with a run of show, I'm sure Philip you've done before. Anybody that's in media production or anything knows what that is. You know, you create a, you know, here's the question we're gonna ask, you know, here's our transition that we're gonna do, and I played it back in my head. And doing all of that, I really feel like, helped the program be successful, and, I'm excited to see kind of what comes of it. There are a couple kind of side partnerships that have come about because of this. Um, through Columbia Residential, specifically in Florida, with our legacy, they're doing some partnerships and we're talking with another community partner to try to get them involved in the Atlanta and Athens communities and um, maybe expanded later on. But it's been really cool, you know, to, to create a program and. And make something that at the end of the day, I think we can all be proud of Columbia Residential, and all of our community partners can take this to their CEOs, to whoever they answer to, when they're asked, Well, what did you do this year? They can show them the project and say, Hey, here's what we're involved in, here's how we're giving back to the community. And that that's really ultimately what you know me going to social work, it's all about is to be that advocate and be that voice for for transplant having experienced it myself, being able to bring that unique perspective to it, regardless of how, regardless of whether I'm in a hospital or doing research, whatever it might be, that, you know, I have this to lean on. I have these partnerships and these people to call up if I need something. At the end of the day, it's just a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's, it's really fun to work with people regardless of the work that you do, who are passionate about what they are doing, who not only know what they're doing and are passionate about it, but also are willing to work with others. You know, that's really what I feel like has made this program so special and something I, I think we can all look back on and be proud. Of. And I'm excited that why not was the, the headline sponsor of it. I knew that I wanted somebody to be the headline sponsor who had been with me from the very beginning and that's why not. And so to me that was no-brainer.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So uh my last question is um what do you want the audience to take from this interview today? What, what are some key things that you want them to uh, definitely hold on to from here on out?
1: All right. So, key thing number one is don't be defined by your current life experience. What do I mean by that? Well, if you are if you have high blood pressure, if you have diabetes, if you have organ failure, if you have a transplant. Yes, you might have those things, but they do not define you as a person. They do not define you and your potential moving forward. And anybody who tells you that, or tries to tell you otherwise, is lying to you. So hold on to that. That's number one. Number two, don't ask yourself, why me? Ask yourself, why not me? What I mean by this? Well, if there's something that you've experienced in your life, you might be going through right now, and you're asking yourself, "Why why do I have to be the one to go through this? Why is it me? Why can't it be someone else? Don't ask yourself that question. Instead, ask yourself and challenge yourself to say, why not? Why why not, you know, experience this? Why, you know, instead of me saying, you know, why did I have to go through all this? Why couldn't I go into the military? Why couldn't I do all these things? Instead, I asked myself, thanks to Edward, why not? You know, of all the people that experienced this, I'm the one, and so this empowers me to go and help others. So that's number two. And finally, number three, I think and one of the other important things is to have a support system. I think it's very important, especially for those of y'all out there who have had transplants or might have some medical situation. Your support system is so important, it's extremely vital to your success, not only through your care, but moving forward. And finding people as a support system and leaning on those people is very important. So I think those three things if you take those away from tonight you will be a better person you'll be better you know suited whether you're a, a parent a sibling however you might look in your family structure you'll be you know you'll be able to make an impact in your family you'll be able to make an impact in your community and ultimately to make an impact in your world and those are all three things that i challenge my listeners to do on my podcast and that's all the things that i'm challenging you all to do tonight is to go out and make an impact in your family go out and make an impact in your community go out and make an impact in your world. If you can do any of those three things, take those three things I told y'all and take that away from tonight, you'll be in a better position tomorrow than today. Wow.
0: I appreciate you being on. I'm going to touch on one thing that he just said, which was uh, the support family. Um, I'm going to touch on it from two different angles. Um, One If you know somebody that deals with a life-threatening illness, some type of sickness, be support for them, Uh, whether it's just to talk, whether it's to go grocery shopping for them if they're elderly, uh, anything like that where you can lend a hand because uh, those people go through a whole lot just trying to fight and survive. Um, so, if you can, please just, you know, find it in your heart to be able to uh, to help these people. You know, they don't necessarily have to be dying or nothing like that, but just, you know, just help. You know, every little thing, you know, is, is help for us. Um, the other thing is patience. Don't take your support family for granted. Uh, yeah, we might be going through these things physically. Uh, and emotionally, but they are definitely going through it emotionally 100% uh, with you. They deal with those things as well because they have to sit there and watch you, you know, maybe suffer, you know, know, if you're not in the best of shape health-wise or anything like that. So do not take those people for granted, the ones who want to help you, the ones that are telling you, hey, take your meds, you know, eat better, you know, we need to go take a walk, you know, go outside, Anything like that is, is imperative and important because the one thing I do stress is that we can't do this by ourselves. You know, I've yet to talk to one person that's dealt with, you know, organ failure or lupus or cancer or anything like that that have ever told me that they can go through their situation on their own and be OK. It's just not possible. You do need the emotional support. You need, some people may need the physical support, you know, help you walk to the car, help you walk up the stairs, you know, get to the bathroom, things like that. So, don't take those people for granted because they are 100% important, uh, in your life. So, uh, hope you take that and, and really kind of listen and dissect that. Uh, Mr. Porter, thank you very much, brother. I appreciate you being on.
1: Um, Absolutely.
0: next week we will have, um, Dr. Patrick G. on with this. Some of you may know him from uh, Motivational Mondays. Uh, Great man of God. I'm very excited to have him on to for him to tell his story, uh, his transplant story. So um, please come back with us next week, same time, eight o'clock. We apologize for being late. Uh, We were dealing with some little technical issues uh, earlier, but we got it. We got through it. You know, God saw us through. So. We are here to give you this wonderful interview this quarter. Uh, so we will definitely see you next week, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. And you guys have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful week. God bless you.
1: God keep you. See y'all. Have a